Hello and welcome everyone to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast episode 42. I'm Clark Coffey and with me as always is Mr. Color and McFader. What's up, buddy? Howdy. How's your it going? Musta- your mustache is looking. I wish that we did video along with this audio because oh, yeah, mustache, one day, one day. <laughs> you are crushing it. You are crushing it. I, I have mustache envy. I, I wish that I could grow a mustache like that. I was actually revisiting... Uh, we're going to take a quick digression here. This is not what this episode is about, but I, I, w- I had watched Tombstone recently, which is one of my favorite oh, movies yeah. from my childhood. Um, and the reason I was watching Tombstone was because I had recently watched Val Kilmer's documentary, mm-hmm. Val. Me as well, yeah. Which I really enjoyed. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, I don't want to get too far off our path here, but I really enjoyed the film. It reminded me how much I enjoyed a lot of Val's work. So I was watching Tombstone and... I was just like, I have never seen a better mustache in my life than Kurt Russell's mustache in that film. Oh, it's, it's like, so good. Yeah. Is it even real? I'm like, how yeah. can a mustache be that real, like that thick and full? And I'm like, I just have mustache envy. I, Of course, nobody there would know unless you knew me personally because this is audio. But I just am like really lacking in the facial hair department. I just I do not have good facial hair and i feel a little bit sad for that but what was that you did a sketch once about the spray on beard (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good one i remember i I did yeah i did he's referring colin's referring to i did like a short film like just a sketch basically of um uh like a fake commercial for a product that i had named insta beard which was a spray-on beard, mm-hmm. and, yeah, yeah. and and yes, that that was the inspiration for that was that I was sad that I can't really grow a beard or a mustache. So anyway, all right, but on to what this podcast is actually about, and that is Paul Verhoeven's 1987 film RoboCop, mm-hmm. which yes. was which was picked by Cullen, and I'm excited that you did because uh i am a big fan of genre films of which this is definitely one of them oh totally and, and that summer it's actually interesting because you read the release of this movie yeah. it, it was like that summer was just filled with genre films yeah um, well and i, I you mean know, I, you read some of that <laughs> again to go on an aside just for a second yeah the envy i have um i mean even for myself as a kid and it's like you 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 read back on summers that had just like hit after hit after mm. hit after hit and mm-hmm. it's like imagine being able to go to the movie theaters every weekend and see something just incredible and fantastic and and you know it, it really um makes you makes you yearn <laughs> i know huh well i i mean so i'm old enough that i actually did see rebel cop in the theater uh i saw it on a re- initial theatrical release now i was only 11 and that's a you know a topic for another time. Should an eleven year old have been <laughs> allowed to <laughs> <Admitted>. go see? <laughs> been admitted. Now, of course, technically, I shouldn't have because it was a rated R film, and I think that's seventeen in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I technically shouldn't have, but I very specifically remember actually getting admission into that movie with a children's ticket. So, so there you go. Yeah, I uh, I also was old enough to see this in theaters, but. Uh, last weekend so <laughs> yeah well that's um, no I, I had a it was actually funny because I chose this before I knew that I was going to get the chance to see it in theaters and then I, mm. I my a friend of mine was just kind of like browsing local there's a lot of really great independent theaters that are just you know single screen yeah. theaters in Toronto that are uh, do a lot of second run shows and, and classics and stuff and uh, they were doing a double feature for free no ticket charge wow of, um robocop and manhunter one night and so i was like nice. hey i'm doing that for the podcast i might as well go and see it and so it was 
the first time I'd seen this in theaters, and it was really, really great to, yeah. um, A, be back in theaters. In a theater, um, yeah. And also be able to see, you know, one of my favorite movies. I, 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 I think that this is pretty high up there if I was going to list, um, you know, the movies that I love. I, I Very different than a lot of the other movies that I like. Um, but I think that it's it's just so well done and so, well, you know, perfectly crafted with such a clear, yeah, you know, intention. Um, that that, it, that of course we'll, well get into in detail. But um, I, I mean, it it's right so up well. my alley because I, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I am not. Uh, I mean, look, I love I love all types of film, but you know, really, my my heart is probably most into, you know, uh, the way I would describe it is is a film that punches way above its weight class. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. is a a relatively low budget genre film. I mean, for crying out loud, it's called RoboCop. Right? It's funny. It, it always reminds me of, you know, if anyone has played like the Grand Theft Auto games, that there's mm-hmm. always these things in the games that are like fake movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they they like play a trailer for the fake movie or whatever. Right. It's always this ridiculous title. And RoboCop to me seems like a movie that would be in that yeah, universe. Yeah, it, it's, it's like, like a it, satire. It's yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it, you know, th- this movie has no uh, business being good. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, mm-hmm. on paper this this movie has no business being a good movie, but it is. And in yeah. spite of all of these things, it is fantastic. And it's it's a much better film than it has any right to be. And I absolutely love. I mean, those kind of films. Maybe it's because I love underdogs. I don't know, but um, or maybe it's because it's it's just the way my mind works. And it's you know when I imagine sitting down to make a film, this is often the kind of film that I like to make. It's not pretentious. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It revels in what I think makes cinema great, which is kineticism, and yes, even that means violence. Yeah. And yeah. um, and I, I I think it embraces what cinema is, which is visual storytelling. And of you know sometimes mythic proportions here, and uh, and I love it. I just love it. So I've I've always loved RoboCop. Um, but let's talk about that a little more. You know, it's one of the things we always like to jump off it with is kind of our first, uh, our first impression, our first experiences with the film. Mm-hmm. And so we both saw this film young, but of course I saw it in '87, and you saw it much later. But we both saw it about the same age yes, in our lives. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you know where you were when you saw this film for the first time, if you remember, and. Uh, and kind of what your impression was, uh, you know, how did you feel about the flick when you first saw it when you were a kid? Yeah, I, I think I was, I think I was, yeah, 12 or 13. I think okay, I was just yeah. in middle school at the time. Um, and it's, it's honestly not a, an exuberantly interesting story, but I, I remember seeing, um, I think I either saw it on like AMC or Spike TV. Okay, like on um, TV. Like okay. They, just, they were just playing it. And so commercial breaks and all that. And of course, yeah. I'm sure it was censored down yeah. to, you know, be allowed for tv but um i just remember being so caught up especially the music um like i love 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 the score for this movie i think it's it's, it's pretty much a perfect score it's outstanding um, and it's bombastic and it's yep. it's like loud and but it it's got such a wonderful theme mm-hmm. um that you know you whistle while you're getting coming out of the theater but Heck i yeah i um i remember i used to like i just loved this my Dad, I've, I've spoken a lot about like the movies that my dad used to show me as a kid and a lot mm-hmm. of it was like Hitchcock and kind of like older older classics like that and things yeah. from like the 60s and 70s but he was never really super into with a few exceptions um like 80s action um so it was something that was kind of a blind spot for me growing up I never really saw like Predator 
Um, I didn't really watch um, like the Terminator until oh, I was older. Wow. Like, I got it on Blu-ray myself, and so a lot okay. of those like '80s action movies I kind of missed, Rambo and things like that. Yeah, those were um, like the, that was like the meat of my diet as a yeah, child. Yeah, <laughs> so, so that was kind of yeah. I was I guess I was ironically seeing a lot from like before then, um, and you know again, Top Gun is a movie that my dad loved, so that was kind of that was the '80s action movie that I used to watch. I, I still love Top Gun to this day, but. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was never really super like into it just by virtue of not having seen a lot of it, um, like that kind of genre. So I remember before I'd seen it, I knew what it was. I'd heard of it and always thought, again, it was just kind of like, I think seeing it on a poster and just being like, oh, it's just a, a stupid B action movie right. about a robot cop. Um, and then I watched it and it was like this, like funny and punchy and you know, brilliantly executed, mm-hmm. you know, brilliantly cast. Like there's no role in the movie. There's nobody that's not giving 110%, but at the yep. same time, isn't perfect it's for the role. Crisply they're in. edited. Um, it's yeah, great edited pace. so yep. supremely. And so I, I used to like play video games after and like play the theme song. And I'd be, I don't know, I'd be playing like GTA or I'd be playing even some like World War II game. Yeah. And I'd be like shooting the guys to the RoboCop theme. And, and like, it was just such a, you know, it was one of those movies that again, What's also funny is that it's not really a movie that, like, even though I loved it, it it didn't have a ton of influence on me. Like, it's not yeah. something that I necessarily go. You're not going to go out would and say that it. I, yeah, yeah or, or like that in in my filmmaking, I I've never really like cited RoboCop as something that you know is inspiring me to make something. But at yeah. the same time, it's a movie that I watch very frequently. Um, I probably watch it once a year, and this well, year I watched it twice. It probably rubs off on you on ways, you know, it probably rubs. Yeah, exactly. And I think the satire, especially, and, like, the yeah. way that he handles humor. Like, I love, you know, the moment, again, and we kind of discussed this, but the, the moment in the convenience store when he first is RoboCop, and he goes mm-hmm. in, and the guy's like, F me, F me, F me, and he's, like, <laughs> saying it, like, 50 <laughs> times. And it's this really funny, you know, moment of just pure action and insanity, but it, it it's overlaid with this ridiculous performance by you know the robber and, and stuff like that and i so i think things like that certainly rubbed off on me and i think that you know the the style of that also has rubbed off on a lot of like i see weirdly enough like a lot of um especially edgar wright's earlier movies like i see mm. a lot of this in those i mm-hmm. see so there's tons of stuff that i think that i watched especially as a kid that i just don't think i realized was necessarily connected to this movie yeah um but yeah, I mean, it's 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 great. I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than the fact that I I loved it a lot as a kid and there's and loved the music and I loved the the action and the gore and yeah yeah well there's and that's totally you know and that's the thing is like films can be enjoyable you know it's um they don't have to always be this kind of highfalutin you know high mm-hmm. art kind of thing and and that again that's what you know I think sometimes when it when a when a filmmaker sets out to make something. Uh, like on purpose, you're you're shooting for you know for an Oscar. You're shooting to make something really elevated, and mm-hmm. you know uh, there's you know a lot of times that can really kind of come back on you and turn out crap, and and it does a yeah, lot of times. Yeah. And I see that happen a lot. And you know it's the uh, Oscar winners are filled with films like that to me that are frankly dead inside. They're boring. They're dead inside. They lack humor. They lack kind of self-understanding self-consciousness uh and it, they take themselves too seriously and i you know in my mind there's nothing worse than a film that takes itself too seriously it, it's just i yeah. don't i don't it, they're boring to me they're dead inside and this i think is filled yeah. with fun it's filled with a sense of humor uh and super heightened 
And yeah, so I, but you know, it look and a lot of people feel this way. You know, you don't have to be embarrassed about liking this film. I mean, it was a huge commercial success when it was released in '87. It earned fifty-three and a half million dollars, which mm-hmm. I don't know what inflation would be now for almost you know thirty-five years later, whatever it is. But that's substantial. Probably a few hundred million, probably. Yeah, it's a, that's million, it's substantial yeah. on, on a small budget. It had about a thirteen and a half million dollar budget, which you know even for then was not huge, especially for a science fiction kind of futuristic action movie. That was pretty low budget and it even received an academy award i think yeah. for sound design if i'm not mistaken right wasn't it for something with sounds yeah so, yeah let me um so make sure that we get that right but yeah I mean, the um, and if you go back and you look at reviews of the era uh you know yes there were there were some critics who were who harped on the violence and yeah you know oh, that's yeah. always <laughs> going to be the case but you know by and large for the most part it was a really you know critically acclaimed film it was a surprise hit audiences um, loved it yeah yeah so oh no i'll never be apologetic for my love of robocop if i was into <laughs> if i was into like cosplay or anything like that like or like you know one of those people like goes to conventions and like dresses up i would totally well go you've got RoboCop i think that time. you should you should do that and i think you should keep the mustache <laughs> oh so yeah it's yeah like mustache a modern RoboCop. a modern yeah. yes a mustached uh robocop would be yeah. awesome yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously we would you know you could just see that mustache peek out like right below <laughs> the visor there i think that would yeah. be fantastic it's awesome <laughs> well all right i mean so for me i was close to the same age as you i mean now i know exactly how old i was because i saw it at the theater and i know when it was released so i was 11 when i saw this film and i did see it theatrically and it's interesting you know there aren't a ton of films i mean i i saw films like every week as a kid you know or i mean very very regularly that's something that i did as a kid and i i can only remember a handful of films you know seeing them in the theater uh well maybe more than a handful a few handfuls but nonetheless mm-hmm. you know only a small fraction of the films i saw can i remember and i so very vividly specifically remember seeing this film in the theater and i mean I, I, I can even remember the feeling of how I felt during, you know, for example, um, when Peter Weller uh, as Murphy before he's turned into RoboCop is executed mm-hmm. by the, the gang in that, you know, warehouse, the abandoned warehouse and how he's, you know, basically just, you know, his hands blown off, Maimed his arms blown yeah. off. He's just, you know, just, you know, shot just, you know, it seems like the scene goes on for five minutes. They're just torturing, shooting this guy. And I just remember being, I mean, I, I floored, just the, the film felt so visceral. It felt so, I mean, some of it almost was documentary kind of in its execution with, you know, mm-hmm. the, like the, the, you know, where he's, he's taken to the ER right yeah, after and that. Yeah, following, and, yeah, yeah. And it seemed, you know, uh, almost real as crazy as that seems, you know, even though the violence is very heightened, it, it, it seemed almost real to me. It was, mm-hmm. I really affected by it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I it really stood out to me. I very vividly remember it, and uh, I was pretty much blown away by it. Yeah, and then you know, of course, like from then on, after that, I would you know occasionally use you know, RoboCop lines in my you know, "Dead or Alive, You Are Coming with Me." Oh, he's great, great to quote. Yeah. So we need like your dog to go out for a walk or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I, I I saw it young and I loved it. And of course, you know, every time it'd come on, you know, TV or something, I'm sure I've seen it, you know, multiple times since then. And then in preparation for this podcast, the latest viewing I saw, Arrow has a new Blu-ray release with. Um, I don't know that it's a brand new transfer. 
but it's uh, it's a revised color correction, I think, a little bit on it, but it's a very nice transfer mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of extras, handful of commentary tracks and things like that. So if you're into the film, Arrow does have a relatively new release. And mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, Arrow's great, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. They, I don't. Yeah, not to digress too much again, but you know they have a channel now that you can subscribe to. So if you love genre yes. films, yeah. if you love B movies, boy, my goodness, there you want. That's like the the like the gold pot at the end of the rainbow, right yeah, there. Yeah, they do for genre really films. great work. Yeah. So all right, well, I mean, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the things that jump out at us about mm -hmm. this film. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned, I did not know this. I thought this was kind of interesting. So it was written by um, Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner. But Edward Newmeyer, this is interesting. So I'm also a Blade Runner fan. I think mm -hmm. you probably are too, right? I love Blade Runner. Well, apparently, uh, Ed Newmeyer was like at the beginning of his career. Uh, he was working as like a he was set dressing, basically just like th like he you know. Uh, uh, on the on the studio lot for Blade Runner, they you know they're like trashing the streets and everything, right? It's this dystopian future, of course. And so he was one of the guys that was just like set dressing, like throwing trash, making and throwing fake trash everywhere to dress the set. And he didn't even know what the the film was about. And so finally, he kind of asked you know somebody else, he's like, "What is this movie about?" And he's like, "Oh." The crew member he asked kind of pointed to some of the characters like, oh, they're robots. And he could kind of see that, like, you know, there, there was some kind of police thing going on. And but he's like in his mind, he's like, this doesn't look like a robot. They just look like people. And of course, yeah. he, he, he yeah. didn't understand kind of the idea that behind the film of replicants. That's the whole point is that they you can't discern them from humans. But at the time, he's thinking, well, that's not a robot. I can make it. I'm going to write a real robot, you know. But he kind of combined that idea of police and robots and future and the idea of RoboCop kind of came into his mind. So the film is kind of inspired to some extent by Blade Runner, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. No, that's really, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Total sense. Sure. Um, because that was one of the things that we were sort of talking about was that like, even in the, because this movie is obviously much lower budget than, than Blade Runner and, and relatively right. low budget for the time anyway, Yeah. Um, and especially for the the scope of the movie yeah um that it's not it's not like a dystopian future movie where there's flying cars and and you know androids walking the street and right big television screens that are in the sides of buildings and stuff it it feels and i think to its benefit very real in its uh execution like it feels like totally a, again, grounded very heightened version of of what what the world was and in some ways very much still is like yeah um and so i think that that again it really works in its favor like as a, 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 apart from the fact that there's a robotic police officer and there's like the ed 209 robots and stuff mm -hmm. um that other than that it really does feel very grounded like the police cars are are just ford tauruses and um which again you mentioned that they were kind of like this new futuristic car at the time yeah yeah um, but at the same time like they but they were real today that's but they're you real cars you're like it's a it's a ford taurus <laughs> um yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a flying car so yeah i think that the writing and I, i'm curious to know when it was being written and i don't know if we have an answer for that or or if, if perhaps there's an answer well somewhere. i mean but, um, blade runner if, if when he was writing it i wonder if his his budgetary you know the thing that he had in mind for budget was larger. Like, I wonder if he wanted to go more for the aesthetic of a Blade Runner where there was a lot of special effects and you were building yeah. up this, this like, world and this universe of, like, you know, big smokestacks and things like that. I don't think or, so. Or, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, now that now I can't be for sure. This is like speculation on my part and, and somebody listening, you may have more insight. But, mm-hmm. you know, so he would have been on the Blade Runner set in 82. So obviously this was written between 82 and probably 85, you know, at the latest because you're in pre-production and the film probably shot in 86, released in 87. So you've got a couple of years there between, you know, uh, he would have been on set maybe 81 on Blade Runner. So between 81 and 80 five or so is when I'm guessing it was written. But, you know, who knows? I mean, I think smart writers probably tend to to not write themselves into huge budgets. Yes. Um, yeah. Especially if he was kind of, that was the beginning of his career. Um, I didn't, I hadn't heard in any commentaries or read anywhere that they had to radically reduce the scope. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, the, the year isn't even specified in the movie either, or in any of the like. It's just sort of correct. said in the, in the near future. And they so. even talk about how they they talked about how they specifically did that. You know that they didn't mm-hmm. want to date it. They didn't want to put you know in, in you know in 1999, you know, or yeah. something like yeah. that. Um, but I but I'm pretty sure that the television broadcasts were a fundamental original part of the script, and the television mm-hmm. broad the the news broadcast and the commercials I think do the heavy lifting of creating the world and it's a totally. really it's a really brilliant idea right because you know whether it's you know the commercial for the 6000 SUX this futuristic car which is a, a hilarious parody of uh <laughs> of american vehicles um less so in the in the mid or late 80s and more so in the 70s but that was mm-hmm. we were in a transition period there um entering the malaise era of american vehicles um but uh, you've got the heart transplant commercial where it kind of, you get a sense that this is like really common, right? And it also is interesting in that it, it kind of, um, you know, uh, now we have so many like pharmaceutical companies advertising directly to consumers. And so it, this kind of was, you know, uh, kind of guessed that that was going to happen a little bit you know mm-hmm. with this like heart transplant stuff being directly you know <laughs> directly just a marketing thing marketed to yeah. consumers and it and, and it's a, a whole on a lot of little levels it's fun i mean because it's also you've got obesity epidemics and so of course you know the heart thing kind of go you know kind of is is hints a little at bit, that a little bit yeah. and yeah all this stuff but i but i guess and the news broadcast of course where we kind of see that the the conflict in the world and um mm-hmm. Oh, it's so effective. Well, it's something that, 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 that Verhoeven uses again in, um, like, he does it in, and same screenwriter Edward Neumeyer, um, in Starship Troopers. It's kind of like a staple of his almost yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I think that it, it's so. What I think is hilarious with those news broadcasts, especially, is that they, you could honestly probably cut them into real news broadcasts, yeah. both from the time and today, and they would almost seem like proper and i think that's what's so brilliant about the whole movie is that mm-hmm. while it's such an overt satire it's so over the top and and stuff like that i think what makes it so brilliant is that a lot our world is over the top too yeah and so a lot of what you actually see in this and it's like you were sitting there watching it as a movie and you're going oh this is a ridiculous and it's hilarious but it's actually quite pertinent to, to yeah. like the way that things run today and, and, and it's not that you know. crazy yeah, exactly. In a way, I mean, it's uh, it, it's actually not that crazy, which mm-hmm. is kind of sad. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at commercials, if you take, if you kind of like are able to step outside of yourself, get a little of objectivity, and you take a look at what commercials advertise, and you take a look at you know the politics and the violence that exists in our world, and of course, you know the privatization of of uh, 
law enforcement to some extent, but mm-hmm. most like prison, you know, you take a look at the militarization of police force, which has just exploded. Like Reaganism, yeah. And and so many of these things, right? And kind of neoliberalism and the Reagan eighties and, you know, all this stuff. You're like, wow, you know, a lot of the things that they were speaking to there, uh, yeah, it's not that far fetched. It's it's mm-hmm. not that much of an exaggeration, you know. And I guess that's kind of the point. It's like, how do you how do you satire something that's already outrageous? You really have to take it to extremes. And I think that's yes. what Verhoeven yeah. does here. And that's, you know, we talked, it's interesting, you know, of course, this film had a hard time achieving an R rating. They had to uh, excise some of the violence in order to keep from it having an X rating. And mm-hmm. um, and I and you and I were talking about this a little bit before our recording. But it, you know, in a way, it's funny, the MPAA actually did themselves you know they i think they they did themselves a disservice if they wanted the film to appear less less violent or disturbing they should yeah. have allowed that violence to remain because well, that's, that's yeah that's one of the things that paul verhoeven himself says yes he was like he was almost like terrified when they were like cut this 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 and this because he was like it's gonna make it I too cut real these violent scenes down then it's gonna seem intentional yeah it's gonna seem like like the violence is supposed to be violent and disturbing and it's supposed when to he, be when it yeah. was over the top when there was a minute straight of the guy getting shot in the boardroom and mm-hmm. and um you know murphy's death that was so much more violent and things like that right. and it was very clearly supposed to be over the top and it was very clearly a joke and he was sort of like i was horrified when they were like cut that down um and i think that that's a big reason i think there was like if, if I'm not correct too, like censorship of the movie in, in the UK as well. Mm. And that was like a huge issue for him. Cause he was like, no, it's, it's the bigger you go, the more clear yeah. it is that it's a joke. And right. So I don't actually know if I've ever seen the censor, like the, the really cupped down versions of the movie other than when I first saw it on TV. Yeah. Um, but I don't really remember that. Ver- that's not, of course the version that sticks in my head. Um, so I, I think that at least to me, it was always very clear that the violence was like over and over the top and, and nuts um because i i can't imagine taking it any other way but i can understand verhoeven's kind of like fear it's kind of like the same thing that you know when hitchcock released psycho and people took it seriously he did an interview i think a year later and he was like i was horrified to find out that people thought that it was supposed to be serious and right that he was like playing everything so tongue-in-cheek but he was like the fact that people watched that movie and thought that it was you know supposed to be genuine and and grounded in like a drama was was like horrifying and i think verhoeven is kind of you know, speaking the same sort of tune there. Um, yeah. Or singing the same tune. Well, is, I, all yeah. I have is my memory of the, the, the way I felt when I saw mm-hmm. it. And I, I saw the, you know, the censored version. And there may be multiple censored versions. I'm not sure if other countries had to censor it in different ways. But in the United States, there were, you know, a couple of things. Like you said, the boardroom uh, execution with Ed 209 shooting the executive, that was, that was cut down. And I think there was like a... Uh, 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 where they are executing um, Murray or Murphy, sorry, Murphy, mm-hmm. and um, and he's shot in the head. I think that was maybe trimmed a little bit, um, which is a shame because it's a really cool puppet shot. It's practical. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a fantastic a puppet. puppet. It, yeah, yeah, and it really, really looks amazing. I mean, honestly, I, if I didn't know it was a puppet, I probably could have, you know, uh, I probably would have bought it, you know, if I hadn't known before. I it, I didn't know it was. I I bought it the other day when I was saw it in theaters. Yeah, it's like, actually. How did they? I guess they just attached like a squib to his head or something. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, yeah. It's really, really well done. But I yeah. de- But I guess my and also I'm 11, so you have to put it in that context. I see it mm-hmm. when I'm 11. I mean, I was definitely affected by the violence. I definitely I wasn't sitting. I mean, obviously, I, I you know, you're 11. A lot of the humor and satires going to fly over your head 
uh, although I think some of it did land even at 11. But I, I mean, I definitely was affected by the violence. It definitely like disturbed me. I remember sitting in the theater and just being like, uh, you know, mouth agape, like, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, I, I remember the same, I rem- the one scene that really disturbed me, I remember as a kid, and that like really I was like, oh my God, was the, the, the boardroom. Because mm-hmm. I remember them all, like the guy is innocent and it's just a mistake that he gets shot. And then yeah. they walk out afterwards and they're all just like talking about it. And yeah. then, you know, the, my, my favorite line now in the movie, one of them is like, oh, that's life in the big city. Yeah. And it's like after the, this guy it's gets just nonchalant. Away. Yeah. It's and, like, hey. um, and so it's, but I remember as a kid, like that scene, I was like, oh my God, like that guy just died and, be, and for no reason, it was a mistake. Yeah. And it was like, I, w- I remember feeling bad. It's like, nobody's helping him and stuff. And, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Which is the point. Yeah. 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 But, but then you have on the flip side though, you know, Verhoeven, I mean, there's a lot of humor that even, even you can get as a kid. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, there, you've got Ed 209 who, while at the same time is this menacing, robot that you know of course is 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 humorously deficient you know um i mean where you've got him trying to go downstairs i mean here is this like this like powerful you know menacing robot makes lion roar all, noises and yeah. all this firepower but yet it's completely defeated by a flight of stairs yeah you know that's, that's hilarious <laughs> all that you but, know yeah so that and, and, and you've it's got, squealing like a pig as it's and like it squeals to get like up. a yeah. pig. I mean, this is like Looney Tunes stuff. This is yeah. cartoon type violence, you know. And now, are, I, I, my favorite thing about the Ed 209s too is that in in like a lot of other movies like this, they would be some formidable foe. Mm-hmm. But they, apart from the one little bit when they're in the the like the actual office and it's shooting the rockets at them really don't pose that much of a threat. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I love about it is that they're never really this big um you know threatening like machine it's that they're just always well, so late by the their people behind it's the yes, people exactly. behind that yeah. machine that are menacing and terrible and dangerous yeah, yeah. the machine yeah. itself is kind of really it's a a poorly executed and they even mention it in the fit it's like this is a piece of crap but it's going to yeah. make us a ton of money who cares mm-hmm. if it works i don't care if it works yeah that's what he says we've already shipped we're out we're going to sell orders. parts yeah. for this for 15 years it's going to yeah. be a you know it's got to be a cash cow for a couple decades you know well, and that's the point is that, that that's why it kills the guy in the boardroom because they're cheaply made <laughs> it's right it's right. like they're not they're not well-made machines and it's, so it's really it's like hitting on this whole idea of this again this like corporate culture and especially in the 80s so so hard like it's not it's not subtle in the way it does it which i think and it again works so much in the movie's favor yeah 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 exactly i mean there's some other interesting things too to kind of point out just about you know i think some some themes or some messages that verhoven's kind of stuffed in here i mean you'd be you'd be remiss to not kind of mention some of the jesus metaphors the christ metaphors in the film of course you know there's a, a few moments where robocop definitely you can see where Verhoeven kind of had a, a Jesus metaphor in mind for him. I think where he's kind of crucified uh, by the gang uh, is reminiscent of the, you know, kind of torture and crucifixion of Jesus. And of course, we have at the end of the film, Robocop even walks on water, which yes. is, which is interesting. Yeah. And of course, Verhoeven has kind of admitted, not you know, or at least discussed, and maybe admitted is the wrong word. It's not like he was trying to hide it, but he's discussed how... Uh, he did kind of want to make RoboCop a an American Christ figure that mm-hmm. that he was just interested in kind of the story and metaphor of Jesus. And he felt like some of those aspects would be interesting uh, to incorporate into the character. And I, I think that does definitely come across, uh, even if not consciously. I think it's um, 
definitely comes across even kind of you know like the you know nailing the nails into the hands is kind of you know symbolized with the shotgun and yeah 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 i guess yeah shot in the hands and just add some extra elements but i think you know all of these things it's the satire the humor you know some of these jesus metaphors we even have interesting kind of way that's that gender is dealt with in the film i think you know I think in a lot of films, especially of this era, Nancy Allen's character would have been sexualized, would have been, you know, um, a love interest or, you know, something of that type. And it's mm-hmm. they don't even remotely go there. She's act- desexualized. She is, you know, her hair is cut short. The clothes are completely, you know, um, they're covering any kind of way that you might be able to tell the gender. Of yeah, the she's character. not. She's never in some. She's never. Yeah, ever. yeah. And, and we have, you know, in the beginning of the film, when we're in the, the locker room, the police, you know, both, you know, everybody shares the same locker room. There's, and, and it's no big deal. It's, you know, nudity is not sexualized. It's just matter of fact, you know. Um, these are things that you don't often see, especially mm-hmm. in a film from that era, especially in a genre action film. I mean, it's quite the opposite, right? You'd usually see gratuitous nudity. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. hypersexualization. Um, yeah, and there'd be a love scene, and there'd yeah. be yeah, yeah. Well, it would be love. It'd be sex, but <laughs> just yeah, yeah, sexy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's usually what you would see, right? I mean, mm-hmm. matter of fact, like you know, a studio would demand it. They'd be like, you know, well, we got you know, you got to have we got to sell tickets. Here, we got to yeah. sell tickets, man. Um, so that's it. That's interesting. I feel like those things really stand out, and together are a big part of why this film uh, endures, and and why it kind of stands apart from so much of the other stuff that was made. Uh, in this space at that time mm-hmm. um what else i mean there's some you know uh, on the special effects side i mean we talked about a little bit of this but i think yeah it's, it's well it's phil Tippett did all the stop motion who's like a legend right um and and i love uh, it the, the stop yeah. motion work for ed 209 is great you know they had uh, of course like a small small like not why well, say small i don't know exactly how big they were but of course like fractional sizes of the ed 209 they also had i think some full size ed yes 209 yeah puppets there's a few moments where it's full size where but it's it full i don't think the full size one ever moves like, or anything yeah, yeah i think, I think it can the, swivel but i don't yeah. think it ever moves yeah. and that's it's just so that the actors could stand next to it you know but mm-hmm. uh i think the puppet work is fantastic i mean the stop motion of course this is stuff we don't see in today's day and age this would absolutely be done with uh cgi today but mm-hmm. I just love it. Maybe it's because I grew up on it. And, you know, it's obvious. You look at it with a modern eye. And, of course, it, it doesn't look fully realistic. But mm-hmm. I, it still it's looks integrated better really well in the scene, to I think. Me. It's still... I think it's, it's, yeah, like it's integrated in a way that it feels like it's in the scene, even if it does look sort of janky and stop motiony. But yeah. I, mean, I also grew up doing stop motion. So I, I any stop motion i love but me too um, with yeah with your toy you you did stop motion with like action figures and things yeah and, yeah action me too, figures of legos yeah. play and yeah like that. yeah so i had yeah so i'm the same i and so it speaks to my heart a little bit of course i grew up where stop motion and, and practical effects were all that i mean that was the state of the art when i was a kid and so many mm-hmm. of the films that i watched but but you've also i mean there's a lot of especially on the low budget i'm really impressed with the matte paintings for example you know they they uh shot in dallas uh primarily so like mm-hmm. the, the, yeah um, except for i think there's like if there's of course the overhead helicopter shots of detroit but there's um, some stock photos there's like yeah. or st- not photos sorry there's some stock footage of to kind of establish that it's in detroit and of course yeah, that's GM where it's supposed that, yeah. to be 
um, uh, the the like the steel factory where a lot of it takes place was shot in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and then the bulk of it was shot in Dallas, and the um, the the la- the landscape, you know, the cityscape. Yeah, was like the OCP headquarters or the Dallas, Dallas City Hall. And they did a great job of taking those buildings and turning them into something, you know, unique and kind of futuristic with the map paintings. I think there's the elevator, the exterior elevator shots. Uh, oh, it's great. Yeah. Really well done with the map paintings. Just fun stuff. You know, a little bit of, uh, you know, the OCP, their logos everywhere. Uh, and you'd already mentioned the Ford Taurus, which was, you know, now, of course, we look at the car and you'd say, eh, eh. But at the time, it was a brand new car. It had really not been released to the public, and it was really considered to be very futuristic design for its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was ingenious to use well, those vehicles. Well, actually something that I hadn't noticed, like you mentioned the logos, the OCP logos, I hadn't noticed until I saw it in theaters that, yeah, in the police badges and on the cars and, like, inside the police insignia, there's the OCP logo. It's, yeah, it's written it's, on a, which I think is just, like, a great little touch. It's a great um, touch, and, it, and it, yeah. again, it's, like, a little piece of world building that just shows that OCP is everywhere. They own mm-hmm. everything, and uh, they're kind of om, omniscient, you know, omnipresent yes. and kind of this uh, this fascist kind of you know overhanging umbrella over everything. But, yeah, um, they put their logo on everything, and they're not... They're concerned about profit over everything else. Over and, yeah. everything else, which, of course, yeah. It's, uh, which I also think is hilarious, too, that there's this element, too, of, like, there's not, there, nobody in the corporate world is a good person, but mm. there are the corporate people that are, like, better than the other corporate. Like, there's, yeah, there's certain yeah. corporate people who are better people right. than other corporate people. Right. Um, and, yeah, is, ex- but none of them are good. They're all they're all horrible people. Right, because you've got the older guy. You've got, like, Yeah, the, the guy the, that's kind of the CEO. The yeah, CEO or, or kind of the founder. Yeah. He's kind of, like, the founder. And it's like, well, yeah, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it rationally for a second, he's the worst of all. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the head of the whole darn thing. Well, he, he starts out with the big speech about how, like, crime is a cancer that has to be written out of society. But, the, but you know, actually kind of but we cheer for him being saved like you cheer for him being saved by robocop you know yeah uh and then you've got of course like a fantastic we can get into performances some more in a second but you've got uh miguel fair uh you know his character i mean he's this like ruthless up-and-coming executive who you know cutthroat guy and but but you we root for him too because it's like you know he wants robocop to be a good product he is trying to make a good you know to make a good thing that's better than ed 209 that's going to mm-hmm. actually work and and uh and then you know of course he's assassinated and you like you care that he's killed you're like oh man you know you feel for him a little bit it's yeah like, yeah but you're yeah. right all these characters are not great people but they're also not cardboard people no not, there's like different levels of two-dimensional of, yeah it's 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 dick who's the the dick in the yeah uh, in the movie he's he's definitely the worst of them all but um, yeah you, but again you, it's like they're all these corporate suits who are just there for profit so i think that that's what's so funny like i would almost argue that like with the exception of very few characters everyone in this movie there's like a sleaze to there's like this very nancy allen and peter yeah, weller don't have are kind like, of the only two that are perhaps presented as pretty as like universally good people yeah yep yeah. yep yep so, uh, but let's talk a little bit more. You know, we talked about stop motion. We talked about matte paintings. I mean, we've got to talk about the suit. Uh, of course, you got to talk about the suit, and I think and and some makeup and practical effects, which I think are amazing here. 
Um, and if I'm not mistaken, didn't I mean refresh my memory? Who worked on some of the practical effects? Because didn't somebody come from uh, Carpenter's it was, uh, the Rob Thing? Botten, uh, Stephen Dupuy, um, Craig Gaines. I, I, I feel Rob like somebody Botten came the from The was, Thing. Uh, so Fly, The Fly. Or The Fly. Oh, no, okay. no, sorry. Um, yeah, Rob Botten did also do The Thing. Yeah, so okay, Rob Botten which, did The Thing. That's right. Um, and I think it was Stephen Dupuy who might have done, done work on The Fly. Yes, yeah, the yeah. Fly. So it was like a collection Some of like good, pretty yeah, so, amazing. Yeah, so a really yeah. great pedigree. I mean, The Fly has extraordinary uh, special effects and practical effects. And I mean, yeah. some other thing which is Which remind like, me which, a lot of the melting at the end. Yeah. When the, the guy gets the toxic waste, which is like the best. You know, that's the scene oh, of the test so audiences oh, it's reacted so good. highly to highest. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um yeah, actor Paul McCrane gets uh his character gets like pushed into the the huge vat of toxic waste in it. I mean, that blew me away too as a kid. I was just like, What? <laughs> yes. Oh god, that scene's so great. And yeah. I think I, I think for like the next ten years I had this thought that like if I touched anything toxic waste, I would that's just what melt. gonna happen. <laughs> that your hand was gonna like start going. Oh, that's yeah. such a great scene though. And then he's that's just nice. smooshed. I mean, and then, you know Oh yeah, he just explodes into like just blue like, or just, green goo like yeah because yeah, he's just like dissolved it's like his yeah. body is like all you know gelatin at that point and it, oh yeah. my gosh it's so good but i mean yeah like we've already talked a little bit about you know the murphy puppet that's shot in the head that's an extraordinary i mean there is just a lot of great special effects uh practical effects the suit now it's my understanding that that suit was an absolute nightmare for oh, well sure. to work I in i can only yeah. imagine how horrible that was and i mean it's interesting you know, uh, it's easy to dismiss uh, Weller's performance or to kind of take it for granted, you know, but that had to have been really hard work. And I think he does an ex ex superb job. I know that, you know, it's talked about how much work he put into. He studied with uh, somebody from Juilliard for, in, in movement for months and months and months leading up to this. And as the story goes, you know, he did all this work uh we figured out like this whole kind of set of movements of robotic movements that was mm -hmm. going to be a part like that you know basis of his character and he gets there on the first day of shooting and first of all because it was the first time they'd done it and they hadn't quite figured it out it took like nine hours to get the suit on for the first Jeez, time yeah oh, so God. the first day of shooting is gone just in to trying to figure out how to get him in the suit so nine hours but then once he finally got the suit on he realized that none of that preparatory work that he did um, with this trainer from Juilliard was going to work because the suit didn't allow him to yeah, move yeah. at all. Like well, he also, had I mean, trained. think about facial, like you only see the bottom half and of you, his you face don't, for most of the movie. You so. don't even see his eyes. And what yeah. this is like the most expressive part of an actor's face is their eyes yeah. and they're taken away from him. So you're right. You get like the bottom, you know, you get his chin and his mouth and his, his gross major motor movements. And that's mm -hmm. like all you get from but but look at how much he is able to deliver and i think it it works so well for it works so yeah. well i feel like the suit has heft it it look i mean I, and this is a huge part of the sound effects that you know the sound design does such so much heavy lifting on selling that suit the the set the steps you know the sounds of robocop stepping his movements you know the servos or motors moving when he you know um, it really does a good job selling it. Because mm -hmm. I can only imagine, I mean, if you take that stuff away, like imagine in your mind, take away all the sound effects and imagine what that suit actually sounded like in live audio on set. I mean, oh, it probably was like squeaking, clicking yeah. plastic. 
the um and that would even the pov shots i think work so well oh um, we haven't talked dice. about the POV. They, yeah. like they use a lot of pov with these yeah. wonderful tech overlays and stuff like that and, and i you um, know i tried to get an understanding and i couldn't quite grasp how this was done and i'm going to ask you i don't mean to put you on the spot here while we're recording but you know uh the scan line overlay was really interesting to me and I was trying to kind of suss out how they did that from a technical perspective. Now, my first thought was like that they had like an actual kind of like uh, shaped piece of glass or something that they might have mm-hmm. put over the lens um, to to kind of distort the light in ridges that way. But I don't think that's how they do it. Did it. I wouldn't and- be surprised if it was an early digital like because tron was 82 so five years prior i don't to this. think so was, it was, i don't think there were any digital effects okay on so then it could have film. been it also could have been something that was um like painted like like uh, i think it you think was of like painted. how lightning used to be done where it was like painted into the frame on the on the actual celluloid yeah. so maybe um, somebody so be, knows if yeah. if anybody knows out there but i i was just really intrigued of course if i was gonna guess it would be painted if if there were for sure no digital effects in the movie um then yeah i would i would guess that it was painted yeah i just think it, it but it's funny if you kind of think about it for a second it's kind of funny that robocop has such low resolution vision <laughs> yes no yeah that it's all like blurred and he's yeah, got yeah. like 240 he's got like 240 eye like yeah. vision <laughs> so you can see the scan line yeah you yeah like the scan lines are are like giant you know but Mm -hmm. no but they did a great job of you know and i think that's another thing that really sets this film apart you know that their pov stuff i mean it's it's humanizing to well in a way it's it's just entertaining it's interesting of course terminator did this too but we get to see inside i mean it's like that's what you want as an audience you're like what is it like in there you know what is what does it feel like to be robocop and I just love that Verhoeven gives that to you as an audience. Mm-hmm. You get to see and this, what he you sees. You see him like picking out things and targeting. And I love right. also the the effect when he's unscrewing the helmet, and how they just had the screws basically in the drill. So as it, yeah, looked, yeah. it looked like it was coming, it out looks of like him it's coming out. Sure, it's such a great. And then they would just cut to another real shot of drills coming out of a prop. And yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's they genius. did a lot of. And again, it's like what you kind of love about especially movies of that era and, and stuff is that everything is like a different trick. You know, it's very much you get that feeling of like a magic show where it's like, Absolutely. how are we going to trick people into believing that this, you know, whatever is real. And I guess that's real. part of what I love more, you know, about I, I I just love that more than CGI. And I maybe that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's like it's magic. I I know when I go see a magician perform that magic isn't real. Of course, I know that it's not real. Mm-hmm. But what makes it intriguing is that I know they are actually doing something in front of my it's the eyes. illusion, yeah. Well, yeah. I know that it's hard work. It, 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 it's like athleticism. It's, it's, I mean, there's a lot that goes into sleight of hand that's extremely difficult to do to make those illusions work. It feels a little like cheating when it's just CGI. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and I, you know, look, I... I know CGI is here to stay, and I know it's a valuable part of filmmaking. I get it. I'm not, you know, it's it's here. What can you do? But I guess there's just a little part of me that's like the, these things that you describe, these small tricks. That feels like magic to me. And I, even though I know how it's done when I watch the film, I appreciate it. Um, and that just could be that I'm old, you know, that I'm old, and that's how I grew up. But I do want to say too, real quick, we were talking about those POV shots. I there's more than just like the fun of kind of getting to see RoboCop and. And, you know, and and kind of this fulfillment to the audience of like letting us see what's happening inside this character. But it's also a really powerful tool to humanize 
RoboCop, when he has the flashbacks of his family and when he goes, you know, back to his home and he's looking through the this this empty shell of a home and the the photographs and the remnants, the burned remnants of his old life and his old humanity, we get to mm-hmm. see that through his eyes. Yeah, yeah. And it's and, like you feel that humanization coming back to him. Yeah. And I think this is like a what this is one of many things that that layers to this film that a lot of films that could be made like this wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And I think it really does work to set it apart. Well, I've never seen the remake. Uh, I know you haven't either, but I I know it was shot again like a No, even like worse. No, 30 I actually, seconds down the street for me. No, oh, so you did actually, see it. I actually have seen it. Oh, okay. I actually have is seen it. Is any of that in the remake? But I can't remember it. It was like it was so much of a non I, I can't even remember it. I, it. It's not even that I'm like, oh, it sucked. It's like I, I literally am indifferent. I can't even remember. Yeah, it. I just it, remember it being cool when they were making it because there was a bunch of people, you know, Sam right Jackson down the street. Was yeah. Like in, in my backyard, pretty much. But um, no, yeah, I, I uh, I've never seen it. So I, I, I again, and you can't. So I. I don't want to say there's none of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they glossed over a lot of that stuff. Um, because you don't even see, you never see his family live in this movie. Not that they die, but I mean, like, you never see like a live moment right. of like him going home to them. Right. You only, only see in flashbacks. flashbacks. Yeah. yeah, it's only in so flashbacks. I think, and I think it's a really great, you know, this movie is so efficient in its storytelling in the way that it is able to just, it shows you what you need to see in order to feel the feelings of it i'm sure if there was a moment at the beginning of the movie where it's like he's like at home with them and oh you know i've got to go to work see i've been transferred to this and it's it would just be like it really slow it down whereas yeah verhoven and i assume um this was also from the screenplay as well where they, they just knew what needed to be seen what what what's important to the story everything moves along really nicely and uh yeah yeah it's 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 lovely. The, um, <laughs> I mean, lovely might not be the best word for it, but that's okay. It's, can... it's, it's, it's charming. It's very it's charming. charming. It is. Yeah. It is. There's and a you lot really of charm to this film, <laughs> and it's, it's like... there's a, there's a lot of pieces to that. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's from the script. It's Verhoeven's uh, direction. It's the actors' performances, which are universally great. I mean, we we've talked about Peter Weller, but we've not talked about Kurtwood Smith. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, uh, you know, a, a hero is only as good as as his villain or her villain. And Kurtwood Smith's villain is just outstanding in this film. He, you know, I know he did a lot of improvisation there on, you know, uh, and, it, and it works. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of his best lines were improvised and, um, and he's just, he's, he's fantastic. He's got this orally fixated, uh, you know, just, <laughs> and he's got his own sense of humor, which is fantastic. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, so not only is he, is he terrifying and scary, but he's also hysterical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, got... and he turns into a wimp at the end when he just rats everyone else. But then, yeah, yeah. you know, then he comes back into the boardroom and he's flirting with the, the, um, like receptionist and yeah, it's all this fantastic. stuff. And it's like, there's this, he's just, he, he's such a great, it's so fun. And, and Miguel... you know, well-rounded again, like it's, it's one of those things like all the characters in the movie are so well-rounded. Nancy um, Allen, I think, is great. She gets yeah. a chance to be, you know, tough and, a, and, and, a, almost, and an equal hero to Robocop. Even at the end, when she almost dies, I like how, again, it's like such a part of this charm of this movie that it's not, you know, there's no moment where he runs over to her and he's like holding her and he's like, oh, mm-hmm. and she's just kind of like, it's okay, they'll fix you, <laughs> right? And like it's this great, like almost comedic bit. Um, yeah, yeah. That he says to her because he's just like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, they'll fix. Yeah. They'll they'll fix you. They fix everything. Yeah, is what he yeah. is what he says. Yeah, but I mean, but she holds her own, you know, and I really do appreciate that. She's not some 
damsel in distress that needs no. to be saved uh-huh. by Robocop. Not not at all. Yeah. Um, which is which is I think what you'd have in a lot of other scripts that could have been made. You know, you'd have mm-hmm. or you'd have some kind of romantic relationship, some weird inappropriate like he, you know he's a robot now, but you know <laughs> there's like some some love affair going on somehow with that. You know, I can just see that happening, and I'm mm-hmm. grateful they don't go there. But if we, you know, uh, who else? I mean, Miguel Ferrer is a fantastic. He's fantastic. He's he fantastic in this. Sleaze, his, you know, coke like, doing. Yeah. But but you can He's not even. But he's not just sleaze. I mean, it's no. Like, he's yeah. He's he's again. He's got aspirations. He's he's, he's got yeah. aspirations, and it's like when he's killed, you like feel bad for him. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like kneecapped and then left to you know to blow up in his house. I mean, it's, yeah. He's kind of what you assume the villain is going to be, but he's yeah. almost like a red herring in that way because then he he's killed off and it's it's well and and there because there's layers of bad guys right and it's like but i think it does a great job um you know it really does a great job if you think about you know how many people have to work at a company and that kind of like let bad things happen for big things to go bad right it's like you know it's because that's the thing it's like well i'm just you know i'm just an employee i just work there i'm just trying to get by i mean that's how like things turn horrible it's you know yes there's a person at the top who has some kind of like, you know, uh, sociopathic, you know, ideas maybe about how, what a company's role is in the world and, and that stockholder, uh, profits are the only thing that matters. But, but for that to work, you also have to have a lot of employees working at that com- company who also Going don't care either. The line. Yeah, and then exactly. you also yeah. have to have a lot of stockholders who don't care and don't mm-hmm. ask questions. And that's well, and of course I, exactly what happens in the real life. So it's And like, I think that's perhaps what the, it, I call it kind of the Verhoeven curse, which is the shame of a lot of Verhoeven's works is mm. that he is such a, like, to me, like brilliant satirist that oftentimes the satire goes over a lot of people's heads i've seen people Mm. discussing this movie and discussing starship troopers thinking that they are a hundred percent you know serious and in on what they're or or, really going for what they're doing and really so you know yeah which i think people take it very it's bizarre to me because it seems very obvious to me um but i think that it's it's yeah it's just one of those things that it's like it I can't imagine watching this movie and not coming away with it, thinking that it's it's a satire of like corporate culture and corporatism and neoliberalism. But it, right. but it it really, I think, well, one of the things all... that it does is it does that really well because things are so well rounded and so like there's a lot of as heightened as the movie is, there's a lot of realism in the things that are being presented. Yeah, um, there's very real elements to this movie. Well, it's that gritty. Are, it's yeah. gritty. Yeah, exactly. It... It's very gritty and it's very. Um, you know, unapologetic in what it's kind of going after and making fun of. Yeah. Um, and I think because of that, it it feels like it could be genuine in a weird way, but it doesn't. I mean, again, it's not difficult to discern what's being made fun of in this movie, but I'm not necessarily surprised that some people watch this and go like, yeah, it's 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 like just a badass action movie and nothing more. Yeah, um, you know that it's. I'm not surprised that that kind of goes over people's heads sometimes, sure. and especially again, same thing with Starship Troopers, which of course is another quite similar in tone Verhoeven movie. Yeah. Um, so and it, look, yeah. it happens. It's always going to be the yeah. case. I, yeah. it's, I remember like another film that's going to Fight Club, you know, which actually kind of was like mocking and parodying this, you know, kind of like fascist group of people who get together and 
you know, but what did people want to do? They wanted to start their own fight club. They yes, thought it was yeah. cool. You know, yeah. it's this is this is like, you know, this is since the dawn of time, you know, totally. different, different, yeah, yeah, people, yeah. you know, you've got when you've got 100 million people watching, you know, somebody's a film, you're going to have percentages of people who think all kinds of different things. You're never going to solve it, basically. <laughs> you're yeah. never going to get everyone to. And that's you know, okay. See that's, it the same way, and yeah. that's and that's okay, and that's where, and that's a, to a totally different topic for a totally different time. But that's you know, it's interesting questions about you know what is the responsibility of the artist, if any, uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, the responses of their work, and uh, those are those are really interesting questions uh, for another time, perhaps. But. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, well, anything else we could think about? I mean, we've taught the soundtrack. Uh, Basil, I think it's, is it Polidorus? Uh, his soundtrack is fantastic. It's, yeah, it's one of the uh, best. Yeah, I love it. And it, we've, and uh, the cinematography is uh, Yost Vacano. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't terribly familiar with his work, but we looked him up. He's done other work, right, for some other uh, Verho Verhoeven films. Yeah, he was kind of Verhoeven's go-to, it seemed like, until 2000, basically, which might have been, I think, when he retired. Yeah, um, but everything, everything just uh, is yeah, the, was, the film yeah. is firing on all cylinders. What what more can you say? Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's it unapologetic. On, it's bombastic. It's yeah. It it went on to of course to inspire you know an entire franchise, which sadly and I it, would say almost an entire genre. Oh yeah, of, yeah of I would. Film. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it, well yeah, I mean we're talking TV shows, cartoons, video games, yeah. movies, a remake, and sadly you know none of it has lived up to the promise of the first film yeah uh, sadly yeah. uh but but i think that just goes to show even more you know how rare it is to get such a talented group of people together on one project it's you know all the stars aligned for this so yeah. i'm glad that we have it and uh i i just it's it's a film that stuck with me and clearly it has you too because you picked it for this episode and mm -hmm. what fun it and was again to such a coincidence it. that i was able to see it in theaters that's after so, picking it i that's fantastic now if only yeah. it could have been in film but hey that's yeah, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap that up. Uh, episode forty-two, Verhoeven's RoboCop. Mm -hmm. Cullen, thanks for picking this film, and uh, I really enjoyed discussing it with you, everybody out there. I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion. Uh, until next time, we'll see you all on the flip side. Mm -hmm.